And here we are for a brand new episode of MAGA Uncovered. In fact, it's episode five, where we uncover the MAGA propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media. I'm Anthony Davis, and this is former Republican Ron Filipkowski. Hello again, Anthony. Another crazy week in MAGA land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To say the very least. Um, we're live on the Midas Media Network, but you can catch up anytime and also subscribe to the free audio podcast wherever you get yours. Today on the show, Bobert, Green, Trump recordings, uh, submersible conspiracies, MAGA pride, and much more. But uh, we're going to start with uh, Russia, the failed coup by General Prigozhin and his private army known as the Wagner Group. Um, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko added to the national humiliation of Putin, claiming that he single-handedly negotiated an end to the mutiny. Kremlin officials couldn't even get Prigozhin on the telephone. Um, it's and Also, I think the interesting thing about this, Ron, is that the media hasn't really known how to cover this whole Russia coup. And, you know, there's, there's, there's so many kind of angles to it because Russia is not free. The people of Russia don't even know whether they can say anything out loud, you know, their personal opinions are very much hidden for fear of being attacked by, by the Kremlin. What's interesting, though, is the MAGA reaction to what's been going on in Russia. Just tell us a little bit about your investigations of that first. Well, of course, I've been watching it. And, and the, the baffling thing to me, and I think to a lot of people, is how did we get here? How did we get to a point where such a huge percentage of the Republican Party, maybe as much as half, is obviously pro-Putin, is obviously pro-Russia in this thing. Uh, I come from, you know, the Republican Party of the 1980s. I served in the Marines when Ronald Reagan was president, and the Republican Party was staunchly anti-Soviet Union. And it wasn't just about the communism and the totalitarianism. It, it was recognizing that Russia was a threat to, to Europe, to countries, surrounding countries, to countries around the globe, to countries in the Western Hemisphere. So it was, always, it was always a hostility towards Russia from the Republican rank and file. Fast forward, here we are, we have 50% of the Republican Party sympathetic to somebody like Vladimir Putin. Now, even though the Soviet Union doesn't exist, Vladimir Putin is very much a Soviet-style leader. It's, it, it's, very, it's like an organized crime operation now with him as, as the leader, but still very, very similar. Expansionist goals, repression, uh, threatening the neighbors. And yet, this big chunk of my former party is sympathetic to him. So, so this is the big question. I think it's a mystery that a lot of people have is, why is it that so many MAGA people are, are pro-Putin? And that's kind of what I really wanted to talk about is the evolution of that. And I think, I think the sources of that, there have been three different sources. One is Donald Trump. I mean, really, it all started in Donald Trump. And, and the question becomes, for the people who push pro-Putin propaganda, are they, what is their motives? Are they compromised? Why are they doing it? Is there an ideological reason behind it? For Trump, we don't know. Craig Unger wrote a great book about this, going all the way back to Trump's ties with Russia in the 1980s, speculating that he might be compromised. I, I don't know, okay? Tucker Carlson is the second person. And, t and, and, and a new poll just came out showing that support for aid to Ukraine has gone up significantly since Tucker Carlson has been taken off the air. So I do believe that Tucker Carlson pumping out Russian propaganda night after night had an impact on this base. 
Um, and then the third thing is the people on the internet. There's plenty of Russian compromised people all over social media who are pushing their propaganda day after day after day. Uh, and I think that that has an impact on the base as well. You posted uh, or you, you reposted a tweet by Isabella Maria de Luca. I'll, I'll, um, I'll put it up and I'll, I'll read it out and just tell us a little bit about what she was going on about here. She says, people don't like Putin simply because the media tells them that they shouldn't like Putin. She says, I, for one, actually like Putin. I agree with a lot of what he says. Putin has defended the family unit. He has protected the country from dangerous far-left ideologies such as gender-affirming care that threaten the very framework of normalcy and function within a nation. He castrates paedophiles, protects children from mutilation, and doesn't like Joe Biden. It wouldn't surprise me if it comes out that the United States paid Wagner, the world's most evil actors, want Putin dead. I mean, this is... Firstly, who is she? And secondly, how did it get to a point where regular US citizens think that this kind of nuclear power that is famous for uh, imprisoning its its um, uh, own civilians, including anybody that opposes the political leadership, is is anything other than, than horrific. If I'm not mistaken, I believe she ran for Congress in 2022. I, I think she lost in the primary. Um, she's definitely a MAGA influencer on Twitter. The messaging that you just read there is straight Tucker Carlson. That yeah. is, that, that's what Tucker Carlson pitches night after night. It's this idea, the reason why they have this uh, affection for him is, is they believe this propaganda that has been put out by the Russian regime, which is, you know, Russia is a Christian nation. Vladimir Putin is a Christian, which he <laughs> definitely is not. I mean, Vladimir Putin is just like Trump. He pretends to be a Christian when it suits him. And he puts out Christian-sounding messaging, even though he doesn't believe any of it. So it's the I and there's a racial component too that you know Russia is a white Christian bulwark. The surrounding countries uh, in the south are they're Muslim, um, they're multiracial, uh, and he he also provides a bulwark against China is also part of the argument. Um, he's very anti-gay. He's yes, he's anti. He 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 parrot he parrots a lot of the right wing talking points in the United States, but not for domestic consumption. He's only putting it out to influence and affect the United States. He he's he's very well aware that the messaging he puts out is picked up by right wing media and right wing social media in the United States, and he uses that to manipulate the MAGA base and manipulate our politics. And that works conversely as well, because Russian state media will always take video from Tucker Carlson's show, and then they will play it, and then they will analyze it, and they will say that, you know, the, the US, they'll basically just give Tucker Carlson's Putin talking points back to their own viewers. Yeah, Julia Davis is the one who cover, who does this on Twitter. Uh, she cover she monitors Soviet media, Russian speaker, and she will she 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 shows how the messaging comes out of Russia, gets replayed in the United States, and then Russia will show it being played in the United States to say, look, even the Americans agree with Putin. Even they do. So yeah. so what the Russians see is this snapshot of right wing media which is agreeing with Putin. So they get the impression that people in the United States 
agree with what he's doing. Julia Davis wrote a very good piece in the Daily Beast today, which uh, is, is oh. definitely worth a read, about the kind of finer details of this. Because isn't that the problem? You know, here in the US, we are not getting the finer details of this. And you really need to be on the ground in, in Russia to kind of know what the, what the sentiment is. Because, you know, it's a little bit like Afghanistan, you know, when, when the Taliban kind of took over. The, the People would work for the Taliban, for the army, because they paid more than the US did. Right. As, as kind of it's like people need to eat. They need to feed their families. And politically, they want to stay under the radar and they want to go with, you know, keep their heads down for fear of, of, of repercussion and just work with the system that they are stuck with. And, you know, that is the difference in a free country and an unfree country. And that's I was thinking this morning while I was in the shower, maybe too much information, but I was think, I was thinking this morning that, you know, aspects of that are starting to happen here where people are frightened to say they're conservatives because there is a huge anti-Trump sentiment, maybe in, in uh, red states um, and, and, or in blue states, I should say, and then the same conversely because there is now this whole kind of language of politics that isn't really much to do with policy. It's just about tribalism. Yeah. And, and they like the fact that he's this authoritarian strongman figure, which is also the image Trump tries to portray. There's yeah. there's a lot of similarities between the two. You know, Vladimir Putin is is not really a tough guy, but he projects that he is and he puts out all the videos and his followers, the people in the, many of the people in the Soviet Union believe that he's this macho tough guy because of the propaganda. It's the same thing with Trump and MAGA. You know, they believe that Trump is this alpha male tough guy when he's not he's nothing of the sort he's he's always been a soft wimpy guy and uh but he projects this image and and maga buys it so so they tie the two together as both of these macho alpha strong men when in reality it's a fiction it's a fantasy it's the image that they put out What's the reaction been from MAGA people to the actual coup itself, the idea yeah. that the, the kind of military wanted to rise up, or this private military firm, Wagner, of course, which, which you know, Putin instigated. He basically subcontracted because he didn't have enough of his own, you know, in terms of the, the, the Russian military. So subcontracting to a private army, Wagner, who use ex-cons, take people out of prison to, to fight. I mean, this is a nasty group, but, you know, they were on the same side and now they're not. Well, when any anything makes them look bad, their support of Russia in this war and their belief that Russia was going to easily conquer Ukraine, they immediately deflect, distract, and the conspiracy theorists start kicking into gear. And many of the usual suspects on social media started cranking out the conspiracies that this was a plot between, you know, Wagner and the Ukraine and the CIA all to distract attention away from the recent Hunter Biden revelations, yeah. you know? So, so that's what they do. They, they just say anything bad that happens is an effort to distract from something bad that's going on with the Bidens or, or mm -hmm. to divert attention away from our recent blockbuster revelation. So it's always a conspiracy. When the, the idea though, that the United States or the CIA would, would somehow be in bed with Prigozhin uh, is preposterous. The other ridiculous thing that they floated out there was that Democrats and liberals were rooting for Prigozhin or that he became a hero to us, which is absurd. I saw not one person on the left uh, 
praising him or trying to say he was some kind of hero. They were rooting for mutually assured destruction between him and Putin. But none of us were making him out to be a heroic figure. But this is what they do. They just lie and propagandize and just say, oh, yes, everyone on the left is making him a hero. When, you know, you challenge them. Oh, show, show me one person who did that. And they can't. You're right about this timing, you know, interesting timing, isn't it? Oh, well, there's a mm -hmm. there's a coup today. Well, that's covering up the fact that, you know, this has been released or Biden's got into this situation. And, and, that, and that use of conspiracy, it's so blatant. It's so simplistic. And, you know, I, I sometimes one wonder whether the kind of MAGA base and beyond the MAGA base, so the you know, Republican voters, how much of this stuff they buy. And, and whether or not, you know, there we've talked on the show before about having a critical thinking and having a radar to know whether something is true or not. I, I would like to think that the more outrageous these claims become, that people who aren't completely sold into the cult of Trump are just going to be like, oh, let, please let this end. You're absolutely right. And this, this has ha this is happening. Um, some people often say, well, this is the dam that's going to break, break everything. And I, yeah. and I often respond to that is that's never going to happen. It's never going to be where a dam breaks. It's, it's a fraying at the edges of a carpet. It's a carpet that's coming unraveled one thread at a time. And sure, all of these preposterous claims or preposterous conspiracies over the documents that Trump was caught with. Yes, they fray at the edges. They chip away at the support. Um, just with respect to the Ukraine and Russia, there, there's still that 50% of the Republican Party was a big chunk that doesn't buy into the pro-Putin stuff. And it's largely the older Republicans, the Republicans who came up during the Cold War, you know, the Gen Xers, the, the baby boomer generation of Republicans that aren't falling for this stuff with, with respect to Russia. But some of them fall for other things, too. But you're right. The more, the con more outlandish the conspiracies become, um, the more frayed away the base becomes. And the base is small. And I, I believe that the base four years ago was about 42% of the, of the Republican Party. I think it's now about 35%. I would agree. It feels like there's a kind of diminishing return, which which is great news for democracy. Um, you mentioned the uh, the Trump tape. Let's talk about espionage just for a moment. Uh, a word that you would normally associate with Russia, but in this case, it's it's about the former president of the United States. I mean, this tape has come out where he admits that he can't declassify documents, and he talks about the fact that he's holding on to this plan that Mark Milley had given him that was a a, a what-if plan or a just-in-case plan for an attack on Iran. And he's in Bedminster in his golf club, and, and it's obviously in a classified document. I'll play a little bit of the audio just so we can remind ourselves of, of the evidence that Jack Smith now has on tape. Bad, sick people. That, but, that was your coup, you know, against you. That's well, it started right at the like beginning. Like when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to do a coup. No, they, they were right. trying to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right. Millie trying to overthrow yeah. your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll, I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. 
Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. Mm. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. I just found. Isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret. Ha ha, ha ha, it's highly confidential. I mean, firstly, let's not forget that Trump doesn't read, right? He didn't read daily briefings, security briefings. When he was president, they ended up having to turn it into a one-pager and include right. the word Trump in every sentence to keep his attention. <laughs> and, and, you know, famously he said, well... Look, if there's something important, they'll come and tell me about it. Why do I have to read the, the presidential daily briefing? I mean, that in itself is terrifying. So the fact that he's got all these papers all of a sudden, clippings and bits and pieces and with, with you know, classified documents in and amongst it. I mean, none of it, none of it makes sense. These are obviously mementos, right? He, he obviously felt that he could take anything he wanted and, you know, being a former president, it would be nice to have as much stuff as possible. Yeah, I think that what makes this, first of all, the voice of the woman that you heard there was Liz Harrington. I, I've heard some speculation about people not knowing who the voices are there. Uh, that's his official spokesman, spokesperson. I often call her like the hologram because she uses a filter that makes her almost translucent white, look like a ghost whenever she goes on TV. That's who you heard there. So the reason why this is incriminating is because a lot of people thought when he had the documents, the original defense was, well, maybe these were just mementos or things he likes to show off to people and all of that. But what we learned from this particular document is, no, that there's there were specific reasons for each thing that he took, specific motives. And we know in this particular thing, um, when this conversation took place, just a week before a story had come out about General Milley and whether... Milley wanted to invade Iran, whether Trump wanted to, et cetera, et cetera. So he kept this document as sort of ammunition to use in right. case that ever came up in the future. So a little leverage. Yeah. So so there are there are improper motives involved here with him taking these things. So, but the other thing is the rea MAGA reaction, which is which is runs the gamut from we don't care about anything. We don't care about any of this stuff. We don't care about what he had, what he took. We love the guy. He's America first. Biden sucks. And we're, we're riding with Trump. So there's that element. But then there's the other element, which knows that that's not really going to fly with a big segment of the population. So they've got to come up with some justification. And you see Trump doing what he typically does, which is stupid for a criminal case. But for politics, it's worked for him in the past, which is he'll try out different explanations until one seems right. to work well. So he's so dropped we, the one about they planted the, the planted, these documents. That one, that one's now done. Yeah. But the so new now, one is that there was no document. Right. And so now it seems like they've settled on, he's settled on a story over the last 24 hours, I would say. And that story is, you know, that, that these documents, that, that I, it was bravado, I was bragging. They weren't really plans for the Iran war that I had. What they really were was just golf plans, plans for a golf course. And I was just bragging and showing off to this guest. So that seems to be his defense, which is utterly preposterous. And it also conflicts with some of the other stories that he's told. But this seems to be the one that um, that MAGA seems to be latching onto and they're going to they're going to go with. 
he's posted this thing on Truth Social. I mean, the, the stream of consciousness. He doesn't even use lowercase anymore, does he? In fact, maybe it's been removed from his keyboard. Everything is, is uppercase. Could somebody please explain to the deranged Trump-hating Jack Smith, his family and his friends, that as President of the United States, I come under the Presidential Records Act as affirmed by the Clinton Sox case, not by this psycho's fantasy of the never-used-before-espionage act of 1917. This is something that he's doing a lot now. He can't get his head around the fact that that the Espionage Act has not been used before. Like, a lot of these charges have not been used before. And it's like, you don't use them willy-nilly. You use them if someone's broken the law. There's this disassociation that he seems to have with with the fact that this is the law and and these are crimes and therefore he has to be tried for them. It, it makes no sense to him. And, and, and blaming the, or, or accusing other presidents of never having been charged for anything is, is not an argument. We as logical people can go through that post point by point and prove why it's wrong. Yeah. The problem is MAGA never hears that other side of the coin because the interviews that he does with the exception of the Brett Bear interview, he never gets pushed back from any people on Fox or Newsmax or wherever he goes on. I mean, setting aside Biden is spelled wrong. The Espionage Act has used, been used multiple times to prosecute people. Many people have gone to prison for violation. The Clinton Sox case involved recordings that Clinton made of himself for that he was going to use for his memoir. They were recordings of his own voice. They were not classified documents. Has absolutely nothing to do with this scenario. It's just a ridiculous legal theory that they've come up with, similar to the ridiculous legal theory he latched onto with John Eastman to try and overturn the election. So these people pitch these wild theories to him and he buys into them. Um, but the other part is the first part of that, that post where he encourages people to harass Jack Smith, his friends and family. Look, I prosecuted and defended probably seven or 8,000 criminal cases over 28 years. There is no scenario by which one of my clients could ever, ever tell one of his friends, family members, supporters, reach out and try and make contact with the prosecutor's family and friends yeah. to tell him to stop prosecuting him. Any one of my clients who has, who would ever have done that would be locked up immediately that day. So he continues to get away with things. I don't know why. If I was Jack Smith, I would have filed a motion to revoke his pretrial release. Well, that's what I was going to ask after you. After that was posted. What on earth must Jack Smith be thinking, Ron? I, I to, don't know. You know, Maybe to, he's to have this to show like, this doesn't bother him that he has a yeah. thick skin. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous that, that he would get away with posting something like that. This thing you said about the fact that MAGA supporters don't really care for the detail. I mean, this is very serious, isn't it? And in fact, we, we have a clip that you tweeted or retweeted uh, a couple of days ago from uh, a guy from Real America's Voice, another one of these kind of right-wing propaganda kind of faux news channels. Just listen to what he says about, I mean, his allegiance to the cult of Trump. To the leftists in America, and I believe I'm speaking for MAGA when I say this, we don't give a damn what that recording says. Honestly, if you listen to the recording, uh, all it shows is that President Trump was showing how attacked he was for putting America first, the mainstream media and how all of these leftists, these, this coup attempt against him, what was going on when he was president. 
even by the military industrial complex who are supposed to be taking his orders, but we're working to undermine him. And all you have to do is look at what's happening now, and it proves his point. They're going after him, this fraudulent indictment against President Trump. So no, I don't care what the recording says. You could bring out a hundred other recordings of President Trump. What I know is President Trump put America first and the Democrats in Washington. Well, there are going to be a hundred other recordings. I mean, this is this is the thing about politics, isn't it? That you do not know what's going to happen week after week. And, and I have a feeling that, I mean, Jack Smith has now subpoenaed uh, CCTV from Bedminster, right? Yes. Yeah. And and some people have asked, like, well, why isn't the Iran document that he was talking about in that tape uh, in the indictment? Well, because it was at Bedminster, if I'm not mistaken, where that was taking place. So I think that throughout this case, there's been jurisdictional issues as to whether jurisdiction lies in Miami, where Miralago is, Palm Beach, or Bedminster, because documents are in both places. It very well meet may happen that he is indicted also up at in New Jersey at Bedminster because uh, there were some documents up there, including the Iran one. Um, but talking about Ben for a second, just to give you a little background on, on this, Real America's Voice is one of these networks like Right Side Broadcasting that covers all of the Trump rallies, the Trump events. They'll go into the crowd. They interview the people. They interview the warm-up speakers. Yes, these are propaganda networks. It's also why I tell people on the left that it's impossible to deplatform people because they have alternate platforms. Ben is basically Steve Bannon's field correspondent. Steve Bannon sends him out to do interviews around the country. Uh, he spends a lot of time on the southern border and, and at Trump rallies. Very similar to Marge Green's boyfriend, um, Brian Glenn. They, they both have basically similar jobs. So, so yeah, he's a true believer. He's a propagandist. It, Trump, he's literally one of these people, and and this is reflected in the MAGA base where you know Trump could kill somebody in the middle of the street and they would still vote for him. They don't, they don't care. They literally don't care. There is nothing you can tell them about Trump that will put a dent in them. So we don't argue with these people. We, I don't engage with these people. I talk to Ben from time to time, um, but uh, there's no point in arguing with them. What I do is try and hold people like Ben up to the average people in the country and just say, this is what MAGA is. It, do you want to be a part of this team? How do you square, this is a bit of a personal question, Ron, so, you know, back me away, but how do you square the fact that you are communicating with mm -hmm. these MAGA people, and yet they must know that what you do is expose their propaganda and their lies? How do they maintain a relationship with you? I mean, this is, what, this is one of the great wonders of the world, Philip Kowski. It's a complicated question. It's a complicated, I get some criticism, um, but I, I think you have to realize, I mean, I, I grew up in the Republican Party. I, I was a Republican for 37 years. I held offices and, and I was club president. So uh, some of my family members are still Trump supporters. So, so I think what it is, is I understand these people very well. I don't hate them. I, I feel pity for a lot of them. I feel sorry for a lot of them. Some of them are bad people. I don't talk to them. The ones I talk to, like, for example, Ben or uh, Marge Green's boyfriend, Brian, I talked to, um, talked to him yesterday. Um, people connected to the Trump campaign I talked to. Now, they're well aware that I hate Trump <laughs> and my mission in life is to destroy Trump. But at the same time, 
I mean, they're, I, they're useful to me. They provide me with information. They provide me with video clips from behind the scenes that... But what do you provide for them? I that mean, regular if media it's, can't get, by the way. If it's transactional... What do what, I provide what, for what them for, is because them? They, want, they want their stuff into the mainstream. They want right. their stuff put out. They want their stuff to be... They're proud of what they say and what they do. <laughs> yeah. so, so they don't get the irony of, no, of, of all of no. them. When I post some of their stuff that I think makes them look like idiots, they often thank me. They say, "Oh, thank you so much. We, we you know, for posting that. It shows how much we love Trump." And I'm like, "Well, it's also showing, you know, 70% of the country that you guys are idiots, you know? But um but they're happy because their work gets promoted, I guess, you know, is it's ego, also, isn't it? Also all part of it is to they like my attacks on DeSantis or Nikki Haley or the right. other candidates. So they find me useful. They will feed me anti DeSantis stuff, anti Nikki Haley stuff that they want put into the mainstream. Perfect example of that would be the Pedro Gonzalez guy story that broke last night of the, the he's a big DeSantis influencer on social media, very effective anti Trump guy who used to be a Trump supporter. Well, they wanted that story, which is a Breitbart story, a right wing publication. They wanted that into the mainstream. So I put it out. Jonathan Swan for the New York Times follows me. He then probably saw me post it. Then he posted it. Then the dam broke. Mainstream media picked up on it. That's what that's basically what they want from me. I mean, we really are living in the upside down, aren't we? I mean, it's like a, it's like an episode of Black Mirror that just won't end. The idea that you want to kind of use opposing political platforms to to solidify your message to the to the to the dear leader it's i mean it's a little bit like we could just talk for a second we weren't going to talk about this but the, you know the kevin mccarthy turnaround where you know he he basically says on television he was on cnbc i think and he basically said that trump right. wasn't really the stronger candidate and now he's had to go and apologize to donald trump and you know the argument is well you went on um, did you go on an unfriendly network to do that i mean he shouldn't have been put in that position and yet he couldn't help but say it. Yeah. And sometimes they let the truth slip. They drop the veil just for a split second and they hope that it doesn't get put out into the mainstream. They hope that maybe Trump doesn't hear it. It doesn't get back to him, but it always does. You'll make it sure it gets does. back. He, 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 he keeps up with everything. I, I, I know that he's well aware of many of the things that I do. Um, because some of the people very close to him and his campaign follow me on Twitter. So I know he's aware of it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of strange. It's an, it's a relationship where, um, I, I think that I get much more out of it than they do, but maybe they feel differently. Let's talk about pride. And we've mentioned it in two previous episodes, but it's changed again. The, the goalposts have slightly moved with the, the MAGA weaponization. Of, yep. of prides. Just explain what happened. You know, this is what I warned about. I go through this every year in June, every year, which is, look, let's step back and look at this from 30,000 feet, because this was very controversial. I made a post on Saturday, George Takei, who this is the post. What, what really made this post very controversial and a huge firestorm over the weekend was George Takei's reply. Uh, George, obviously, you know, Sulu in Star Trek, somebody I, I love George Takei. I've 
always been a fan of George Takei. Loved him on Howard Stern when he would had some epic appearances on there. So I like George. George follows me on Twitter. I follow him. So what? I, here's what I know. What I know is that, you know, the LBGTQ community has, has attained a lot of rights over the last 20 years, right to marry, uh, right to adopt children, all kind employment discrimination rights, all kinds of things that when I was growing up, they didn't have. And, and you know, 90% of gay people were in the closet. They kept it hidden. They were unhappy because many of them were in heterosexual marriages that were unfulfilling to them. So we've come a long way since that point. And there are many on the right who want to roll all of those things back. They are not happy with them. They want to see Obergefell overturned, which I think it very well might be overturned by the Supreme Court, which is the gay marriage uh, decision, making it a constitutional right. And they want to roll back a lot of these things. So what they're doing is they're arguing that the gay community is targeting children and wants to indoctrinate children and sexualize children. And they, are, they use that to try and argue that a lot of these rights should be rolled back. And so what I implore, and, and, and they make this argument that teachers in school are doing. So I battle these people all year round saying, no, teachers aren't groomers. No, gay people aren't after your children. No, nobody's trying to sexualize your kids or make them trans. Argue with them 11 months out of the year, and then Pride Month rolls around, and this is the time when they're going to prove me wrong, and they're going to they're gonna pull clips from Pride Parade and put them out to show the public that I'm wrong and they're right, and that gay people really are out for children. And so what happens? The Flagstaff, Arizona this weekend, Toronto, New York City, Seattle, Pride Parades all had incidents where, um, yes, I mean, this was the one in New York City where the group said, we're and I listened to this recording, it's, it's legit, they admitted to it, we're coming for your children, we're coming for your children, and you can see this was on Fox News, this was a huge deal, members of Congress were talking about it, millions of views, this group said, well, we were only mocking the right-wingers, we're only saying that, look, uh, this is what right-wingers say about us, and we're making fun of right-wingers. The problem is, no, that doesn't translate on TV. That doesn't translate on social media. Nobody gets your joke. So these 20 people, 30 people in New York City and Central Park who did this did tremendous damage to their own movement. There's a third-grade teacher somewhere who's going to be persecuted because of these 20 people decided that they needed to do that to make a spectacle and a statement. And, and you know, the, the, other, the other clip was uh, people that went, there, there were a bunch of men who were completely naked. You know, they had their penises out, they're riding bicycles, and there were little kids on the side of the road watching this parade, and they clipped that part. And, you know, my post was, look, to the gay community, they are weaponizing this, this, these things against you. It's why is it necessary? Maybe it maybe there's some kind of artistic or creative reason for it, but I'm just letting you know that what they are doing to this is they are harming your movement and they are harming politicians and elected officials who stand up and defend you are being hurt by this, by these incidents. And they're isolated incidents of what to me are knuckleheads, but um, but they're being blown up to be representative of the gay community. And George, I think, probably made it worse 
by chiming in and saying, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with doing this in a pride parade, getting naked, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, that throws more gasoline on the fire. See, we told you they're even agreeing that this is fine. Yeah. So I, I understand it's just, for that me, it's very frustrating. I have to say to you, Ron, I'm actually with George, right? I, I, I believe that people should be able to express themselves however they want in these situations. And for them to, you know, expose themselves, I mean, people have been being partially naked in pride parades for years, right? That's, that's not a new thing. But what you're saying is that the, it's those images, because we live in a world now that is social media based, that is image based clips and clickbait, that that, that that stuff has been stolen and turned How and i don't think the gay community should pander to that and i understand that kind of irony because you know these people are smart and they're like yeah you know yeah we're coming for your children knowing full well they're not and, and yeah. i do think they have a, a, a total right to do that but it's unfortunate that you know in real life it was probably completely harmless but on social media and when it's replayed on on media that's when it becomes a dangerous thing. And, and in fact, you could argue that this is very similar to the, to the BLM protests. Oh, where, absolutely. Where you the had same thing. Same thing, where you had, yeah. you know, you had black community burning down their own local businesses because they were that upset. They were that angry. That's how important this message was, to get their message heard, to have somebody just take an interest in them. And, 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 and make changes of, of policy to, to help them, that they were prepared to burn down their own local businesses. And that was weaponized by the right, it saying, was. look how savage these people are. It still is. They still bring it up. Yeah. You know, every time you bring up January 6th, they say, well, the Justice Department didn't prosecute all the people who burned down the cities during BLM. Yeah. You know, they still use it. Yeah. So, yes, you know, it's... I just feel like political movements need to police their own and they But they're need not police. political movements though. That's the thing. The gay community is not a political movement. Pride is not a political movement. It's a celebration of of well, of a, you know, of rights. I and, suppose and, you're right, but there's politics involved though. <laughs> yeah. Because we yeah. live in an over-politicized country and yeah. in more liberal countries Pride would come and go with, with, you know, a few people might complain about it, but it, it doesn't take on. I mean, you know, abortion shouldn't be political anymore. It should have been done and dusted 50 years ago. You know, all of these things that are part of humanity have become politicized and weaponized. And, and, it, and it devalues the original message, which is that in this case, gay people deserve the same rights as straight people. You know, they're not getting more rights. They but, just want the same rights. I just look at it just from somebody who is involved in elections and yeah. just from a numbers game. Yeah. And what I can say is just the cold, hard numbers of the political reality of this is yeah. 80%, 70%, 80% of the country favors gay marriage, favors gay adoption of, of children, favors pride parades, all, all of this stuff, uh, favors uh, no employment discrimination against gay people. But if you want to put out the position that, you know, Pride parades should be allowed to have naked men in their penises out and women with vaginas and breasts out with little children on the side of the road. Well, you might think that that is fine, but Anthony, I'm just telling you that's a, that's a 10 to 20% position in the United yeah, States. Yeah, I understand. I mean, and you're going to lose a lot of elections there is a, that out. 
<laughs> There's a, there is an annual naked bike ride that goes on around the yeah, world, that, right? That's, Which a, that's a different thing. Yeah. But it's not. It's the same. It's people naked on bicycles and being out and parading. I mean, Here, and children are there and children are watching. You know, no one's going to become gay because they see a man's penis. No, well, they're maybe. not. But there are, there are laws against exposing yourself yeah, to children. I, 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 so. I understand that. But the point is that, you know, the naked bike ride is, is legal somehow. And, and so maybe so should pride. Let's talk on this same subject about how a joke like we're coming for your kids. Biden has actually said some stuff when he was sitting next to Narendra Modi. And, and oh, that yeah. has been weaponized. Let me show the clip and then okay. you can explain uh, what happened. And I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that we shared. Now, all kidding aside, look, we're teaming up to design. All kidding aside, tell us what really well, went on there. Look, let's talk about, let's talk. This is a big subject too. And look, maybe like the last subject, this is probably one show where I'm going to say a lot of stuff that maybe people don't want to hear. Okay. And, yeah. and a lot of that is because I feel like that's part of my role here as part of my role in social media is to make people aware of what MAGA and what Republicans are doing to Democrats, which might be things that they don't want to hear about, but I'm just yeah. telling you the, rea the reality. And This is a and, safe space, Ron. Don't worry. Okay. You, you, you're, the Republican you're, you, you can party say has what a, you want. No one's well judging you. Trained, well, the Republican Party has a well-paid, well-trained team of people that do nothing but uh, stalk Biden. Every public appearance, everything he does, everything he says, they're clipping him, they're clipping him, they're looking for mistakes, they're looking for gaffes, okay? And this was, this particular one was put out by the RNC, you know, their rapid react. The Democratic Party, by the way, doesn't really have anything like this. They rely on people like me and uh, a few other people on social media to kind of voluntarily do it on their own. Uh, but the Republican Party is very organized, they pay people, they have teams of people that do this. War rooms. So, yeah. And so and and, and Biden is fer fertile ground for, for this kind of stuff, because, I mean, we do it to Trump, but they do it to Biden, too. Let me let me just give you the five categories of things that they go after Biden on. And, and I say this with hopes that maybe somebody connected to the Biden campaign or White House might hear this and become aware of it, because I think they might be aware of some of it. I think maybe they're not necessarily aware of all of it. One would be. One is rather harmless, which is Joe, like Ronald Reagan, like Abraham Lincoln, likes to tell stories about from his childhood and from his upbringing. As the years gone on, these have become embellished and they become um, more, he adds more humor to them to where they still probably have a very low basis in reality from the original stories that he told 30 years ago. Those are harmless, okay? But the, uh, the, the second category is he likes to tell these jokes where he'll go, he'll say something sort of preposterous or outrageous for shock value or to get the whole public going, what? And then he'll go, no, I'm just kidding, guys. And, he, you know, he thinks that that's funny. I don't I don't particularly appreciate that humor from a president, but he he gets a kick out of it. So he keeps doing it. The problem is. The Republicans always cut the hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking part, which they did in that clip. OK, they cut the hey, I'm just joking part of that. Um, and, you know, and so Biden is a, because he tells jokes that way. I don't know why they continue to clip him like that and, and use it against him. 
So he, he basically says in that clip, I'm sharing official secrets with yeah. with this guy. I mean, he, yeah. he's which the Republicans would use and weaponize to basically say, well, if Biden's doing it and Trump's doing it, then that de devalues exactly. the charge on Trump. Yeah. See, it's no big deal. Yeah. So and then the other one sort of um, the other three kind of f come into the narrative of that Joe Biden is senile and he's old, you know, so the other three categories are um, he has this tendency after he's done speaking at a podium to sort of wander around <laughs> and, In the wrong and direction. You know, sometimes he doesn't know where he's supposed to go. And yeah. and he's kind of looks like a Mr. Magoo, you know, and some, and some staffer will grab him and go over here. We're going over here. So they will always clip that and, and they'll put it together to show, try and show that he doesn't know where he's at. He's senile and all of that. The fourth category of things they do with Joe is Joe is from a different generation uh, of people who are more, they were more hands-on. They're more touchy-feely. Tactile. That's the there are the current generation, the Gen Zs, the millennials. You don't yeah. see their politicians hugging and kissing women, and you know, touching their faces and kissing them on the forehead. Joe's generation, it was very commonplace in the '70s for a politician to do that. So he Joe continues to do this, even though it's not so much cool anymore. And and so they just make hay out of that. There was one incident last week where Eva Longoria was at the White House for a ceremony. And Joe gave her a kiss and he put her, he put his hands on her ribs under, under her breasts. And that went viral. Uh, I mean, again, it's a harmless thing. I don't think he means anything by it. It's part of his generation. It's not something I would do or probably a millennial would do, but, um, but they, they, that went viral. That probably got yeah. 10 million views, him putting his hands on her, on her. Um, and that's the downside to being 80. I mean, he's like nearly a hundred and, and yes. it was a completely different world. And it's a different you know, world. But we also should acknowledge that Joe Biden has changed, you know, psychologically, he has shifted his position. He's changed his position on a lot of big political issues True. over the years. Yeah. And he has come out and said, I have changed my view. And, you know, that takes a, a certain character and a certain bravery. And, you know, for that reason, you can't have a career that, you know, over 40 years or 50 years in, in politics and then expect your opinion. I mean, apart from Bernie Sanders, I guess, who hasn't really shifted very much at all. But Biden really has. And, and I think that that is a, something to celebrate. It is. And, and a lot of these things are just style points. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not substantive. They're superficial things, but I just see how they, they weaponize them and use them to create a narrative. And, and I wish maybe somebody could sit down with him in the White House or with his campaign and just go, maybe do it this way instead of that way. Yeah. You know, just from a style standpoint, especially as we head into this campaign, you know, I just like to see some of these things not happen as, as often. You know, the other the, the last little thing that he does, and, and he means this to be funny and he means this to be cute, but he, he'll often end his speeches where he's cutting off questions and he'll say, you know, well, my wife doesn't let doesn't want me to stay any longer or my staff will get mad at me if I answer yeah. that question. And again, their narrative is that Joe Biden is a controlled person, that he's not really in charge, you know, that he's old and senile and the staffers control him. And when he makes those little jokes about, well, they'll get mad at me if I answer your questions, 
that feeds that narrative and they clip it every time. So these are kind of things that I would like them to be aware of, the Biden campaign. But they must know. Maybe they, they must know. And every time he says do. these things, they must cringe a little bit. But the problem is that you can't change an 80-year-old man who yeah. has worked <laughs> yeah. so hard to overcome his speech impediment. Yeah. And, you know, public speaking is not his safe space. And you know, the problem of having an inner monologue and, and being able to maintain control, because, you know, I used to train people, politicians, to, to make speeches, and I would write speeches for politicians in the UK. And they're not professional speakers. You know, they're, they're politicians. They care about policy, and, and, you know, they're very good at doing deals behind the scenes. Some of them are great orators, but others are terrible. And they still want to play the game, and they still want to be involved, and... You know, he's really done well to overcome what he has. So being able to, like, control that inner monologue is very difficult for some people mm. because you're nervous, because of the pressure, mm. and so you end up defaulting to things that are on your mind or in your mind that you know... You, in fact, as I'm sure as he's saying them, he's thinking, I shouldn't be saying this, <laughs> right? Yeah. But at 80, there's no way to stop it. It just, like, comes out like dribble. That's and, just and how it is. Probably what he would say to me is, "Hey, buddy, I got elected president. Right, <laughs> I got elected to the Senate six times. Who, are, who, are, or eight times, or whatever. Who are yeah. you to tell me that this isn't working? You know." <laughs> Let's talk about uh, um, everybody's favorite, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, the uh, the the two Stooges. They we spoke last week about this conversation that they'd had that got caught on camera that was, you know. Well, I'll show the clip. I think I have the clip. Let's let's uh, kind of see what happened. And you can tell us why this infighting, this argument over this desire to impeach Joe Biden has uh, is having ramifications. Thank you. Conversations to the back. Off the floor. For what purpose does the gentlewoman order, please? For what purpose does the gentlewoman from Florida, Mrs. Lona, seek recognition? Mr. Marjorie was not happy there. There's a whole lot of pointing going on. We, we spoke about it before, but tell us what's changed. Well, this was the incident where Marge was calling Bobert a little bitch, uh, which Green has acknowledged that she said that. <laughs> This feud, I started chronicling this going back a year. This really started a year ago. Um, they, they, I think that they tolerated each other, but both, both of them wants to be the star in the right wing caucus. You know, yeah. they want to be the female leader, um, and and they're both sort of vying for who's gonna who's gonna be that leader of that caucus. And who's going to get the most attention, the most money, all of that. So, so I always saw that sort of tension between the two of them, even when they would play nice. But then when you really saw it boil over was over the speaker election of McCarthy, where, you know, Gates, who was always closely aligned with Green, was very much opposed to McCarthy for speaker. And, and Marge Green decided, made, made the bet that, she wanted to be in leadership or she at least wanted to have influence over leadership. And she wanted to align herself 
with the establishment powers in the House. And so she made a bet where she basically walked away from her caucus, her Freedom Caucus group, and sided with McCarthy. And that was huge for McCarthy. Without sort of Green doing that, I don't think he would have he would have been able to get elected speaker. So he owes her and he knows that and he's acknowledged that. But at the same time, Boebert then linked up with Gates. So Gates's former running mate was Green and, and it became Boebert and the two of them were inseparable. They were at all the events. And so that also escalated the tension to where Boebert joined Gates against Green in opposing McCarthy's speakership. So then Green's big pet thing has been impeaching Biden. This is her thing. I'm going to impeach Biden. And she fundraises off of it. This is her big pet project for months and months and months. So then, so. Which is in, in itself nuts. I mean, we yeah, should just, nuts. just so get in there and Mac say that that shouldn't be normalized. Right. So McCarthy, though, is blocking this and not bringing it to the floor for the vote. Doesn't want yeah. it. Doesn't, McCarthy doesn't want it to go anywhere. You, uh, that's obvious. So what Boebert did is she crafted it as a resolution to sort of force a vote and go around McCarthy uh, and get it to the floor for a vote, which, which is what happened. And, and this is what you just saw in that clip was Green reacting to that, which is basically, Boebert, you stole my thunder. You took my issue away from, this, from me. This was my baby, and you stole it from me, and I'm never talking to you again. And that vote took a lot of Republicans by surprise, didn't it? They don't want this. I mean, they just took Congress. They barely are hanging on to Congress by, what, five seats? Santos is going down, and probably whoever they nominate in that district is going down. So, I mean, they're, they're hanging on by a thread. The last thing in the world that they want is to have a ridiculous impeachment of Joe Biden, which will never work, which is will seen as being nakedly political. I don't even think Green ever wanted this up for a vote. I think she just wanted to, to yammer on about it and raise money off of it. But then Boebert screwed everything up by forcing a vote on this. The Republicans in the House do not want to vote on any impeachments of anybody. They just want to talk about it and yell about it and raise money off of it. They don't actually want to vote on it and take it to the people in, the, in 2024. And this is what Boebert has done to them. They, he, she's put them in a very difficult position. They really are so disorganized in Congress but they seem to be quite well organized on social media and, and in other ways. Why is there this disparity between the kind of chaos of, of the Republicans in Congress versus what goes on um, in a kind of from a marketing perspective? Well, what you said a few minutes ago is really why, which is you mentioned that a lot of politicians are not great public speakers or whatever because they're, they're focused on policy and that's why they got into politics. It's the opposite with these people. I mean, these people are the attention seekers. They, they're not interested in policy at all. They just like the grandstanding and the showmanship. So naturally, the forum that they're most comfortable in is social media, where that's all it is. It's a showmanship. It's gamesmanship. It's not substantive. It's, it's quick hits. It's owning the libs. That's what they're built for. That's what they're designed for. And that's how they got elected. But they can't do policy. And not only that, they have no party loyalty. They're not loyal to each other. So whereas the Democrats, you see this wide spectrum coalition of Democrats, of ex-Republicans and people that are relatively conservative like me, and then far left people, where we get along with each other on social media and policy because we understand the larger goal and we're part of a party and we're loyal to each other. These people don't have that. 
They're all free agents. They're all individuals, and they won't hesitate to go after each other. It's like a talent contest, isn't it? They yeah. just want to win America's Got Talent. They want um, to win today, and tomorrow's yeah. a new contest. You know. Let's talk about Jim Jordan for a second, uh, mm -hmm. the man without a jacket. Uh, there's um, more ramifications have come up, and a video's come out about Adam De Sabato. Is that how his name is said, uh, spoke, um, pronounced? Right. He testified a year ago to the Ohio House about the Jim Jordan cover-up um, of uh, abuse. Um, just explain it before I show the clip. Yeah. So this is this guy's a pretty legendary. He was captain of the wrestling team when. Jim Jordan was there as an assistant coach. So the alle the allegation, well, what's clear is the doctor for who was at Ohio State who cared for a lot of the wrestlers was sexually molesting them. And a lot of them kept it quiet, which is what often happens in in for uh, victims of sexual assault. They won't say anything, particularly male wrestlers. They don't want to come out and say that they were molested by another guy. It's it's you know, it's just very anathema to their culture. And so they kept it quiet and hidden for so many years until the statute of limitations in Ohio passed. So what, what is in this clip is this is him appearing in front of the Ohio Senate, arguing to try and get the Senate to, ex to change the statute of limitations and make it longer so that they could sue Ohio State. And he was mentioning in his speech how the reason why they didn't bring this lawsuit is because Jim Jordan was the point man for telling them not to sue, not to come forward, not to get lawyers. So what they were arguing is the reason why we missed this deadline is because of Jim Jordan pressuring us to keep quiet. Now, thankfully, what has just rekindled this was then they then they took to court their case to federal court, and the United States and that was challenged by Ohio State, and that all went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, who just ruled that yes, they can sue Ohio State and Jim Jordan in federal court. Here's the clip. This is disgusting. You people have the power to do something. Ohio State is too arrogant. They think it's going to go away. Jim Jordan called me crying. Crying. Groveling. On the 4th of July begging me to go against my brother, begging me, crying for a half hour. That's the kind of cover-ups that's going on there. Now, you guys can sit and act like it's not going on, but I, I got a, a lot of other stuff here. Emails that were taken out of my mailbox, that's a crime. It's very compelling testimony, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it's horrible. It will make Jim Jordan look horrible. And, and this lawsuit needs to go forward. And, and I know people have talked about the George Clooney uh, biography that he supposedly did about this uh, and a documentary. And where is this? It's supposedly finished. But I, I, my guess is he's probably... Number one, he's probably ironed. There's a lot of legal issues and uh, that got to be cleared with the lawyers before they release something like this. And number two, I think I think Clooney's probably waiting closer to the election before he puts this out. So, so yeah, as you can see, Jim Jordan is a piece of garbage, 
And it's good that these guys are going to finally get their day in court. And Jim Jordan, I mean, part of the reason for him wanting to hold on to his position as a politician is it, it kind of gives him some immunity or he feels that it gives him immunity because he's the one who gets to, you know, make all the make all the rules. And we yeah. must not forget that there are victims in these cases. There are there are people that are suffering the effects of abuse. There are survivors in these cases. Yeah. I think the Ohio Senate there, it was not really protecting Jim Jordan. I think they were protecting Ohio State. Because no. let's face it, you're trying to sue Ohio State in Ohio, <laughs> where everybody either went to school there or is a fan of the of the football team. You know, it's pretty difficult. Finally, we need to finish in just a moment, but I want to talk about the extent of these outlandish conspiracy theories from, on behalf of MAGA Republicans. And as we know, there was this tragedy with the submersible uh, looking for Titanic, and which imploded and, and five people died. Somehow they managed to blame this on Joe Biden. So just explain, and then I'll, I'll show one of these viral videos. This is very predictable. I mean, anybody who follows MAGA on social media, you know, anything could happen in the world, a storm, a tornado, baby food shortage. It, it always, they'll always cook up a, a reason why Joe Biden and the Marxist Democrats are responsible. So what they latched onto here was the fact that the Coast Guard had heard a, an implosion or a sound that, something that sounded like an implosion early on, and they believed it was very possibly the sub, but they weren't sure. And they didn't want to come out and say that because they didn't want to discourage all the rescue efforts that were taking place from both private individuals and government agencies. So they didn't want to come out and say anything. So that was changed to Joe Biden told them not to say anything because he wanted the news cycle to be filled up with all of these stories about the submersible instead of talking about Hunter Biden. So this is what they do. It's a common thing. All I can do is push back, debunk it, fight it back. But, but yeah, there'll be another one tomorrow. There's always, there's always new ones every day. This is how they play the game. Let's see the video, one of, these, one of many viral videos. I mean, so uh, why would the government, why would we continue to just, I guess, give people hope, maybe right. give their families hope? that these people were still alive. I think they, 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 wanted, they wanted emotion here. They wanted the American people to pray for these people on the sub. We're counting down 72 hours. We got mm -hmm. 36 left because the two stories that broke were very, very damaging to this administration. I believe that could be the case and we need to investigate it all. Yeah, there's always an investigation to be had. Um, I mean, it just, it's funny when you watch it in isolation like that, it just, it just seems so puerile. And yet, you know, when people are glued to these news channels and it's, it becomes part of the news cycle, it's like, yeah, it's like it's legitimate. It's on the news. And as we know, nothing could be further from the truth. That's a member of Congress. I mean, that, that's Troy Nels. I mean, that's not just some yahoo, you know, on social media. That's a member of Congress. And he wasn't the only one saying that. There were many of them saying that. So, yeah, the idea that, like, Joe Biden told him, told the, the, the United States Navy, no, I don't want you to release this to the public because, you know, Congress has got these new conspiracies about Hunter Biden and we need to keep the American public distracted. And the U U.S. Navy is going to go along with that. I mean, yeah. it's just preposterous. Um, 
we have to end, but I'm so thrilled to spend an hour with you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that we had some pushback with each other. I feel that this is, you know, gives character to this show. And uh, I, I look forward to playing Devil's Advocate again with you next week at the same time. Ron Filipkowski, thank you. Always a pleasure. Follow us both on Twitter. Catch me every day on the 5 Minute News podcast and on Sunday hosting the weekend show here on the Midas Media Network. We're back next Wednesday at the same time. Have yourself a really good week. <laughs>